When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the Hockey News on the O. I am Tony Ferrari, as always, and with me is my beautiful bald co-host, Brock Otten. How are you doing this week, Brock? Good, Tony. How are you doing? Not bad. We've got a big week of news so far this week, so I figured we'd jump right into it. And let's start with the big trade of the week. Well, at least we thought it was the first big trade of the week. And, <laughs> and that's uh, the Brennan Hoffman trade. It goes from Flint to Peterborough. The return isn't huge, so uh, it was a little bit confusing. They get Artem Guriev, the defenseman. Uh, Hamilton's second rounder in 2024, Peterborough's third rounder in 2023, and Peterborough's third rounder in 26. So what exactly does this do for Peterborough? I think this does a lot for Peterborough. I think you and I both sort of knew that the Peets would be going all in this year and uh, were likely to pick up a, a really good player or two. We maybe thought closer to the deadline, but it's interesting to see them pull the trigger this early. I guess they saw the opportunity to add a player like Othman, who is maybe the best player in the OHL this year or right now. And I think that that really makes their lineup not just deeper, but stronger overall. Uh, when you add a, a quality goal scorer like Offman, who can play, you know, uh, play with some physicality and uh, provide some leadership on the ice and uh, had a really good run with Flint last year too. So there's obviously that experience. And uh, I think this is a great move for the Peets. Yeah, the first thing I thought of is the Peterborough Peets kind of underwhelmed a little bit, I'd say, to what we were kind of expecting at the start of the year. But they're still doing well at fourth in the division or fourth in the conference, seventh in the league so far. And adding a goal score, like you said, of Othman standard. And then the pest mentality that Brennan Othman brings to the ice as well. I think you bring in that kind of guy onto the ice and it almost helps draw attention to him and away from everyone else and lets everyone else do their thing a little bit more. So it was really interesting to see but why, why do you think Flint felt the need to kind of send him out now and, and maybe not wait a little longer till uh, maybe that ter- trade deadline and get a little bit bigger of a package? Yeah, well, um, I think there was definitely some frustration from from both player and team. Um, and I think that, you know, Brennan posted some stuff on Instagram about his grandparents, you know, not being well. And that was part of the reason why he had asked sort of to, to get moved closer to home. So this is them sort of, keeping up the their end of the bargain right um their end of the deal and trading in the ohl especially high-end players can be very complicated with all the no movement clauses that that exist right uh players have to sign off on on these types of moves uh when you start adding that into it that doesn't mean there's going to be a ton of suitors and then that means that's going to drive sort of the price down as well um I think Flint probably also saw the opportunity to add Gurev as, as a physical defenseman, something they sort of need right now in their lineup. I think the key is he just has to stay in the penalty box and stay off the suspension list. But otherwise, um, you know, he could be an asset for them on, on their penalty kill and, and more of a shutdown role. So uh, I think we look at it from an outside perspective and say this isn't a great haul, and I would probably agree with that. Uh, but at the same time, Flint maybe really targeted adding that physical defenseman who's going to help them right away and maybe using some of those picks to bring in somebody else too. Yeah. And like you said, with the no movement clauses and everything, sometimes you're a little bit handcuffed and you, you just kind of have to take what you can get. And at the end of the day, I think Flint did, did good by the player. 
getting Brennan off and moved closer to home, like you said, so he could be near with his grandparents and everything. But this wasn't the only big move of the week. Uh, we had a, a trade drop today, actually, before recording. North Bay gets Josh Bloom, Saginaw's captain, Brennan Hislop, and London's sixth, sixth round pick in 2025 in exchange for Nicholas Seema, Cam Gouvro, uh, North Bay's third rounder in 2023, Erie's third rounder in 2023, North Bay's second rounder in 2024, North Bay's third rounder the same year, and then a Kingston third rounder in 2026. So the hall was much bigger. There was a little bit more going back in terms of just amount of players going to North Bay as well. So what did you kind of think of this deal when it dropped? Honestly, when I heard that Bloom was traded, one of the first teams that came to mind was North Bay. He just sort of fits that exact mold with the forwards that North Bay always seems to have and the players that they seem to covet. Uh, Bloom, we kind of talked about at length uh, a couple episodes ago about how he's a strong two-way player. And, you know, that's what North Bay is all about. They, you have to play both ends of the ice at forward to, to really get ice time in that system. Um, he's a really strong penalty killer, and they've already got a strong penalty kill in North Bay. So that's going to make that team even stronger on special teams. Um, I think he adds a, a great scoring element to their top six. Um, I think this is this is a fantastic deal for North Bay, but also Saginaw, right? You know, Saginaw is playing well, uh, but at the end of the day, I think you and I both expected that they would move some pieces out at some point this year. I think now it's the Pavel Minchukov watch too, right? Like, do they eventually yeah. move him? He's even more tricky uh, to move out because he's an import. Uh, but if they're going to move Bloom, you have to think that Minchukov will be the next out the door at some point. Probably maybe in that sort of January window when they can get a 16-year-old back. Um, but definitely interesting to watch that scenario sort of uh, occur in the future. Yeah, it was really interesting. The first thing I thought of was, okay, North Bay's loading up, and Saginaw continues to rebuild. Like you said, they get they get a bunch of picks, which is awesome. They get a couple of good players in, in Seema and Guvro. At the end of the day, I think, like you said, this is Saginaw understanding the situation they're in despite the fact that they have played pretty good so far to start the year. I think they, they realize that their window is as Michael Misa kind of gets a couple more years under his belt as he grows and develops and gets towards his draft year in a couple of years, and then they can start being really competitive and really a high-end team. So load up for that, that run, get the picks now so that when you get to that year, uh, two years from now with Misa probably in his last year in the OHL or near his last year in the OHL, you have the picks to trade for the players that you need at that moment, not necessarily the players you have now. Uh, I think that's the big thing for them as well. And, and like you said, North Bay gets a player that a couple of players that they can get used in their lineup. And in, at the end of the day, Josh Bloom's a really, really high end OHL player, good character guy as well. So it's going to be fun to kind of see him take on a role in North Bay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Saginaw is getting back an interesting player too. And Nick Sima, who was a fairly high OHL pick in the second round, um, you know, has been playing more of a depth role for, for the battalion. He's a big kid who skates pretty well, has some scoring potential. Um, and that's going to be really interesting to see how he fits in. He's he's kind of – it's funny because somebody asked me the other day uh, about maybe a player this year eligible for the NHL draft from the OHL who, you know, maybe in like a year or two really explodes. They're not really playing that much right now, playing that well right now, but they have sort of like those intriguing physical qualities. And the first two names that jumped out to me were Nick Sima and Luke McNamara. And now they're going to end up on the same team. And I wouldn't be shocked if, if they pair them together on the same line because um, they're kind of both uh, big bodies who can skate and score. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how things develop in Saginaw and North Bay as, as we get the season kind of going in towards the World Junior break and everything. And But the, the news doesn't stop there. 
We have a coaching change in Niagara as Dan Fitzgerald's out. Jeff Angelis, Angelitis, Angelitis, sorry, is in. Uh, what did you think of this this coaching change? It was a little hasty as they've kind of, uh, I think they've made the most moves in the OHL since the start of the summer. It, it's interesting because they are planning on making a, uh, a Memorial Cup bid for that 2023-2024 season. So is the patience wearing thin on the coaching staff or what, are they, what, are, what do you kind of think is going through their minds right now? Well, you've got a new owner, right, who's trying to put his stamp on the team. Um, he's bringing in player or uh, people that he sort of knows. Uh, this is another sort of connection with Brantford where, you know, the previous connection was as well. I think that there's definitely – there was some patience wearing thin, like you said. I think there was a lot of moves. But in the OHL, it takes time to build chemistry. And I think that maybe this shows – you know, too much impatience on the, on the part of the new ownership in Niagara, you know, you're bringing all these young or young players, um, new players to the community, new players to each other. And it's going to take some time and the results have not been great so far. Um, and quite honestly, I didn't expect the team to, to be fantastic this year. Maybe I think that the expectations were just too grand. Um, and maybe there would have, should have been maybe more of a slow play if the end goal was a Memorial cup bid instead of putting all your eggs in one basket. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, the whole situation in Niagara has been just kind of a bit of a mess this year. Uh, You mentioned all the trades. It started off with the Sam Dickinson pick and then him not showing up, um, them getting a nice haul from, from London for him. But um, that kind of just started it all off and it's been kind of downhill since. Yeah, like I mentioned, they, they've made the most trades in the OHL since the start, of, uh, since the end of last season. They've brought in a lot of guys, brought in guys in and out even. It's, it's been interesting to see what's going on in Niagara. I think, like you said, the patience is wearing thin. It is going to be interesting to see what they do because if they want to bid for the Memorial Cup, I know they take into account how good the teams are kind of expected to be, and they expect that team to be competitive with the three champions from the from the respective leagues. So. It's certainly going to be interesting to see what Niagara is planning to do as we go forward. A coaching change maybe helps kind of bring things together. But at the end of the day, I kind of look at it and I go, it's just another new voice in the locker room where it's going to be a lot of voices kind of coming in and and being there for the first time, really. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. I don't know if this is necessarily a move that's going to bring about the results that that ownership wants. All right, and the final big piece of news, and I mean, there's always news going on in the OHL, but this is a big one as well. Hamilton announces it'll be displaced for two seasons as there's renovations occurring at First Ontario Arena. Where does the team move temporarily? I don't know if that's a question you can answer, but it's a question that's out there. You have to think they're going to stay somewhere within the East, right? I can't see them moving somewhere where uh, travel is going to be complicated and scheduling is going to be complicated. So, they might stay in Hamilton. You've got the Dave Vanderchuk Memorial Arena or the Mountain Arena, which is about 2,500. Uh, they had the uh, CJHL top prospects game there. I think yeah. it was maybe just before COVID or just at the beginning of COVID. Um, it's interesting that we have to use that as like a timeline now, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it is a decent facility. It's not an OHL facility, but it could serve as a temporary home, especially with Hamilton sort of building up a bit of a fan base. Do you really want to move them somewhere else, risk losing the fan base that you built up with that great championship run last year? I would say that's probably like the top contender trying to work out, you know, the other teams that play in that arena. You've obviously got an empty sort of arena in Brampton um, where the Italian used to play. Uh, That's obviously an option because it would keep them in the East. 
you maybe you look to one of the neighboring communities like Brantford, Burlington, Oakville. Um, but again, their facilities just wouldn't be at an OHL level. Um, so it's going to be very, very, very interesting. And I know that owner Michael Einlauer was was not happy uh, when he was notified that they would be displaced for a couple of years. And, and rightfully so. Like, like I just mentioned, this is a team that has worked very, very, very hard to build up a fan base. Um, when I first, when they first moved, um, there wasn't a lot of fans at, at the game. And last year, you know, by the end of the year, by that end of that playoff run, uh, it was definitely a lot better. And to risk that, I don't know if you move the team all that far. Yeah, my first thought was looking at the OJHL teams in the area. Let's let's see what arenas have hosted games with fans in them, and and, and kind of go from there. And like you mentioned, Brampton, Brampton, Burlington, Brantford, uh, Oakville, even. And you, you, there's arenas, but none of them are really OHL quality. You hope that the 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 move isn't going to ruin that momentum that they built up, like you said. Um, and, and you read you read that letter that the the owner posted on the website. He was not happy that they, that the Hamilton Bulldogs weren't the, te- the people announcing that there was going to be displacement because they probably would have done it a little bit more gracefully than, hey, the team's not coming back next year or the year after. Well, they'll figure out where they're going to play, though. And, and that's kind of how it was dropped on everybody. So you could tell he wasn't too happy in the letter, and you could tell that it wasn't the best piece of news in the world. And it, even the delivery of it wasn't, wasn't all the greatest. So it, it's going to be interesting to see where they go. I assume it's going to be resolved fairly quickly hopefully because at the end of the day next season comes sooner than we all kind of expect that oh every year so it's going to be interesting to see where they end up playing yeah and i mean in the meantime man lauer's just gonna buy the ottawa senators so yeah <laughs> him and rocco <laughs> tulio which is uh just another storyline in the ohl that maybe we'll get into next week and uh maybe talk about it then but uh for now, we're going to jump into some U-17 talk. Uh, the U-17s were going on last week. Carol Schramm from the Hockey News on the Dub podcast was over there watching the games live, and she joined us for an interview where we got to talk to her about a little bit about some of the OHLs at the event. All right, now we're joined by Carol Schramm from the Hockey News on the Dub podcast. She was at the U-17 event last week. How's it going, Carol? Oh, it's going great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. I guess it makes sense to start with London Knights defenseman Sam Dickinson, who was named to the all-tournament all-star team. Uh, What were your thoughts on Sam, Carol? Sam was actually one of the first players that jumped out at me on the first day that I went to the tournament. So it's a a great place to begin. Uh, He was the captain for Team Black, um, one of the three teams that Canada was icing in the tournament. And... uh, the first game I saw them play was at the uh, Sun God Arena in Delta, which only seats about 2,000 people. It's a real community rink that was filled in a very community vibe. And so seeing a, a player out there wearing the C in the Black Canada jersey, who's already six foot three and 195 pounds, it's like you've just dropped a, almost an NHL-ready player into this very kind of small-town sort of vibes so Dickinson really literally was like head and shoulders above some of the some of the other players um I thought he looked really good in the uh games that I saw Canada Black play um good at both end of the ice really good skater strong commitment to defense um played a ton of minutes 
And uh, I think his leadership was also really important to the black team because they were very much shorthanded with um, two of their key offensive players, um, Macklin Celebrini and uh, the OHL's Malcolm Spence were both absent from the end of the tournament with injuries. So um, Dickinson was a, a real glue guy sort of holding that group together. And it was really impressive that they made it through for an opportunity to play in the bronze medal game. Would you say that he was the best defender at the tournament? I know you talked about sort of him being almost pro ready already as a, as a U17 player, but would you say that he might've been the most impressive defender? Out of the teams that I saw, I would tend to lean in that direction. Yeah. I certainly think his all tournament honor was, uh, was well-deserved. And um, even with the Americans, the gold medal team that were so dominant, they were scoring so much that they didn't really have as much of a need for a player like Dickinson. And so I think that um, in terms of fulfilling the role that uh, that he played for his team, that he was he was certainly like like most valuable in in the true sense of the word. Yeah, it makes total sense. Now, Michael, now Michael Misa was a guy that's absolutely torn up the OHL to this point. And while he had a good tournament, I think he underscored what a lot of people were expecting from him at this event. So, what were your takes on his game when you saw him? Um, yeah, I saw a couple of games with Misa, and you, you hit the nail on the head. He he did okay, but he didn't stand out to me. I didn't see the kind of phenom moment that, you know, I was sort of, I don't know, I guess like my expectations would have been that I it, I would have been impressed if he could have been like how Connor Bedard was at that U18 tournament a couple of years ago when he was double underage or whatever and, and was still a standout in that tournament. That was sort of what I had hoped to see from Misa. Um, he's bigger than I thought. He's 5'11", which still seems like pretty solid for a 15-year-old. I, I, I don't know. I don't really expect 15-year-olds to be that size. Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he seems like a pretty mature kid. He did all right. He had three goals, six points in the tournament. Um, but the other thing, too, that I thought was a little bit noticeable was um, in the last game of the round robin where Canada Red needed to win in order to advance to the medal games, they were in a really tight battle with Sweden and he did not jump out in that game. When the stakes got high, he kind of disappeared a little bit and, and didn't get onto the score sheet in that game. That was um, some other players that, that stepped up, one of whom I think we are going to discuss very shortly. But, you know, Misa's got room to grow and, um, you know, this may not have been the, the very best showing for him, but he's still got lots of time. I wanted to ask you about another defender, uh, Zane Parekh. He had a really good OHL preseason. That's kind of had a slow start to the year in the OHL, but he had a really strong uh, tournament from from what I saw. What were your thoughts on him? Um, honestly, I, I didn't notice Perak a whole lot. He was on the black team with um, with Dickinson and was playing sort of third pairing, so not massive minutes. Um, you know, his stat line came out well. He had ended up with three goals and two assists. And uh, you know, as a as a righty, obviously, he's going to be in in high demand as the uh, um, you know, his, his development progresses. Um, he did get two goals against the Czechs in the uh, last game of the round robin for Canada Black. And that was another important game where the Czechs were not great in the tournament, but Black really needed that win in order to, uh, to advance and get the opportunity to play for bronze. So I thought that that showed some, um, 
you know, some some jump and some ability to uh, to come through when you know the the going got tough. That game was insane though too. It was like seven to five. So if you want to talk about defending, it wasn't really a uh, a showcase for anybody <laughs> in that one. Now, starting things, Porter Martone was really good in the couple games that I was able to catch Canada Red at the tournament. What were your takes on his game? Because he was one of the higher scoring players at the tournament. Yeah, he and um, and Berkeley Catton from the from the WHL were basically the top line on uh, on Canada Red, which was probably the most complete and dynamic of the Canadian teams. And they were the ones, obviously, who got the opportunity to play for gold. Um, Catton is a real dynamic player, and as you said, he and Martone both finished with twelve points, which um, was the tops of, I believe, any of the non-American players in the tournament. Um, Martone's a he's a, a good size player he's got good energy moves around well and um, seems to have a real nose for the net and uh, again seeing him play in the small rink he got two goals in that Sweden game so he was a guy who, who did step up when uh, when the stakes were high and uh, threw out some pretty great celebrations throwing his body against the glass and that and getting the little kids all excited so it was uh, it was fun to see him do that and he did the same uh, I think he had two goals again in the in the gold medal game and and he he brings great sellies so i like that <laughs> the uh, the last one we wanted to ask you about was sort of like a under the radar kind of guy uh lucas carmiris from mississauga he's not playing a ton in the ohl right now but uh, he had a pretty solid tournament he did have a pretty solid tournament um he was one of the guys who i think benefited from um the canada black injury situation because he moved up the lineup i do actually have my lineup sheet here yeah he was playing top line center in the uh, um, Canada Black U.S. game, so that was one of the earlier games in the tournament. But um, he, you know, he I think saw his role grow significantly and was able to take advantage of that. So I mean, maybe that's something that could happen as uh, the season goes along in the OHL as well. If uh, if somebody notices and decides that they might want to give him an opportunity, um, he was the only goal scorer for Canada Black in the bronze medal game against the Finns. And so he was named player of the game for, uh, for Canada Black in that game. So um, Carmeris did, did what he needed to do in order to draw some attention to himself in this tournament. All right, Carol, we really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you take a minute to plug the WHL podcast that you and Liz are doing? <laughs> Thank you. I certainly will. Uh, we're having a great time doing the uh, hockey news on the dub podcast every week. And uh don't worry, we have an exclusive dedicated segment on Connor Bedard every single week because he uh, warrants that from what he's been doing. And also we want to leave enough room in our three stars to make sure that some other players get uh, get attention as well. Got a little bit of U17 talk on there this week as well, talking about Berkeley Cat and and, uh, and also the uh, impressive game face that uh, young Tija Ginla brought to uh, to the tournament as somebody who's been around high-level hockey his whole life. So, uh, yeah, stop by and uh, visit Hockey News on the Dub for your listening enjoyment. All right. Thanks again for joining us, Carol. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, it Carol. It was. Thanks for having me. All right, and we'd like to thank Carol for joining us on the podcast because she was a great guest, and it was tons of fun to talk to her about players that she necessarily hasn't seen because she is so much more focused on the dub, but it was good to get her her opinions on some of the OHL guys coming over there, fresh set of eyes, especially any time you get to uh, see, see them live. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to hear Carol's perspective. Now let's jump into our, our NHL team of the week, some of the prospects from an NHL team, and this week we were delivered with the Montreal Canadiens. 
big prospect pool for the OHL this week. Let's start with Cedric Gwenyan. Uh, Owen sound attack, fourth round pick, 127th overall in 2022. And something we're going to notice throughout this process is there's a lot of 2022 picks from the OHL and from in the Montreal system now. Uh, he had 25 points so far this year in 18 games, nine goals, 16 assists, just two penalty minutes, and he's a plus nine. What have you liked about his game so far, Brock? So Gwyndon is somebody that I liked last year as an NHL draft pick, but I didn't love because I wasn't sure sort of how much those physical tools could improve. Like he's not the biggest guy, um, not the quickest guy, uh, definitely not the most physical player, but the IQ and the brain are, are very strong, uh, really good goal scorer. And I think that this year, what we've sort of seen um, in Owen Sound, and it's kind of been the same with his uh, teammate, Denny Gore, who was somebody who's been passed over in the draft, two guys who are kind of similar players. Um, what we've seen is those physical attributes improving. He looks quicker. He looks stronger. He's able to play through the middle a lot more consistently. Um, you know, he's earning his touches. And, you know, he's he's really playing well for the Owen Sound attack. And I think he's he's slowly turning into somebody that, you know, could be a, a middle six prospect or a middle six player for the Canadians in the future. Yeah, like you said, the physical tool development's been really nice to see. Him scoring a little bit more this year is also really great to see. The big thing I had with him last year was you'd watch him play and there'd be so many times where you'd be like, okay, he's playing hockey kind of the way I would play hockey with my, my rec league team or something. It, it wasn't always the most structured. And you're seeing him pull that structure into his game and still be able to develop those tools, which is the big thing I've noticed this year. And, and the thing that I think Montreal is going to like about his game going forward. Yeah, I think that, that's an interesting analogy, Tony. I think you're right. I think that he was a classic case maybe of trying to do too much too often uh, as well. And I think that maybe he just wasn't strong enough to work his way into the middle of the ice the way that he wanted to personally. And that would uh, you know, sort of bring out the best in his skill set. Like I said, uh, strong goal scorer, really good head for the game, uh, in my opinion, anyway. And I think that Owen Sound is a great environment for players like that. We saw sort of the progression as a player for Nick Suzuki, another Montreal Canadian prospect. And you know, he wasn't always the quickest, not always the strongest player, but again, very cerebral. And, um, you know, I think that's sort of what Montreal's thinking was in, in selecting Gwindon is, you know, there are some qualities similar to Suzuki. Yeah, I agree with you there. And now we move on to Vincent Rohr from the Ottawa 67s. Third round pick in 2022. Uh, 75th overall. He's got 23 points, 7 goals, 16 assists. No penalty minutes. He's a plus 15. He's playing on that powerhouse Ottawa team that we've seen and talked about many times in this podcast. What have you liked about Rohr's game so far? I just love his versatility. He's the type of guy that can just be used in any situation, right? He's a very kind of like a Swiss Army knife. Uh, yeah. You know, he, can kill penalties. He can work the wall on the power play. He can drive the net. Uh, he blocks shots. Um, he can play multiple positions. There's just uh, so many things that he does well. And I think that we're also seeing sort of the confidence blossom in his play with the puck. And I think that's been the biggest difference this year. Um, and that whole Ottawa team is buying into Dave Cameron's system as well. And, and Roar, uh, excuse me, Roar sort of fits perfectly in that. And, I don't think the upside is extremely high with Roar. Uh, I think that he probably fits in in sort of like a bottom six role in the future as an NHLer, as long as he can continue to get a little bit quicker. Um, but I definitely think that his versatility is going to make him very appealing to uh, NHL coaching staffs and and pro coaching staffs in the future. Yeah, I, I look at him. He's, I think he's a northwest or north south skater, a guy that kind of makes his living around the net, does a lot of good 
good work in tight, works off the wall as well, but it's out in space where the dynamism really kind of, or lack of dynamism sort of really shows. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of players in the NHL that play with his style of game and make a really good living doing it. So I think it's a good prospect for Montreal. You can't have all the guys that are going to be like this next guy we're talking about, and that's Owen Beck. Uh, Mississauga Steelheads, second-round pick, 33rd overall, first pick in the second round last year. Uh, 22 points, 13 goals, 9 assists, 13 penalty minutes, plus 10. He's had a few big games this year with the Mississauga Steelheads. What have you liked about him so far? Same things I liked about Owen Beck last year when I felt (laughs) like he could have been a first-round draft pick. Uh, He is just the prototype of sort of today's middle six center, in my opinion. Um, You know, good at both ends. Can really push pace with his skating ability. I think he's got, um, you know, very underrated skills in terms of his puck skill. I think that his decision making with the puck has really improved this year. I think last year that was sort of like the one main criticism I had of his game is that, you know, occasionally he was turnover prone. I think that sometimes he would just try to attack with speed. It was kind of like one note. Um, and this year, I think we're really seeing him vary his pace. And I think we're seeing him really blossom into one of the better players in, in the OHL. And I think he's somebody who actually has a really good chance of being on the Canadian world junior team this year too. Yeah. He was a really interesting prospect in last year's draft. And I think the big thing with him is you notice that Montreal camp where he, he was with Montreal till late in the, in the camp where he just has so many pro tendencies, so many traits that make him a good, that should make him a good pro in a couple of years. And he's a guy that I wouldn't be shocked to see playing in Montreal in a limited role next year even. So it's going to be really interesting to see his development as we go forward. Because like you said, he's, he's starting to develop that ability to change pace. He's starting to develop that ability to kind of use his skills to his full ability and that that skating ability as well. So it, it's been really interesting. He's a kid who loves to shoot the puck. He's had a few big games, like I mentioned, offensively this year. And he does play responsibly at both ends of the ice. So it's really fun to see him play lately. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said he's the type of player who can move quickly, right? Uh, the skills that he does at a above average level are the ones that are going to make him a, a good pro right away. And I could see him starting in Montreal next season, you know, in a fourth line role. He's on the penalty kill kind of ease him into maybe like some secondary power play time, um, you know, and have him sort of slowly work his way up the lineup, you know, over a couple of years, not, not within a season, but, uh, very, very much easing him into uh, a larger offensively oriented role. Um, I think he's he's definitely somebody I see being an NHL player in some capacity. And now for one of my favorite prospects in the entire system, Kitchener Rangers, Phil Mishar, first round pick last year. He had another 2022 pick, 26th overall. He has 11 points in nine games so far. Got a little bit of a late start because he was with the AHL team for a little bit in Laval. Four penalty minutes, he's a minus one. This is a kid that's been absolutely so much fun to watch in the OHL. As much as I kind of thought the AHL might have been the best development path for him, I have loved seeing him in the OHL because he brings a fun element to Kitchener's lineup. Yeah, I I think he's come as advertised, right? Like the things that we thought he did well is what he's showing he does well in the OHL, right? And that's push the pace. He's a very dynamic player in transition, and that's sort of when he's at his best, um, you know, when he's able to attack with some speed. And... I think there are some areas of his game that the OHL can really help him with. Uh, I think playing in Kitchener is going to help him develop. Uh, I think he's a strong, I think he's a good two-way player. I think there's, there's the opportunity for him to develop more as a two-way player. Uh, I think, you know, working with Kitchener's 
strength and conditioning staff and, and becoming a little bit stronger so that he's able to fight through contact uh, a little bit more and, and maintain possession through some of those sort of dynamic attacks. I think that's sort of like a big next step for him so that he can be a little bit more consistent. But, uh, you know, like you said, just a really fun player to watch who's come as advertised. Now we jump to a player in Windsor, my neck of the woods, who maybe is the direct opposite of, of Mishar, where the fun factor maybe isn't there, but he is very effective at what he does. And that's Daniel Sobolev, the defenseman for the Spitfires, fifth-round pick in 2021, 142nd overall. He's only got three points in 14 games, but that's not his game. He's got 18 penalty minutes. So he's a plus 10. He's a really good defensive player. What have you liked about his game so far this year? I just like that he's such a, a no-nonsense kind of throwback stay-at-home defender. I kind of did expect the offensive game to take a bit of a step forward this year, um, but I think we just have to realize that's not really going to be his game moving forward. Uh, you know, maybe that is slightly concerning because he's not really the biggest guy in terms of height, right? So that length and reach isn't really going to be there the way that you want it to be at the NHL level. Um, but I do think that there is a role for a guy like Sobolev. I think that he's coming to the OHL and last year played really well for Windsor and their sort of deep run in the Western conference. And he's playing really well for them again this year in sort of that shutdown role, um, really good head for the game and the defensive end, a very physical player, uh, really sort of relishes in the opportunity to, to punish at any chance he can get, whether, uh, you know, players are coming across the blue line, players near the crease, players in the corners, right. He's always sort of dialed in physically. And uh, I think that's going to make him sort of like that that fan favorite in Montreal, if he is able to, to progress to, to be an NHL player. Yeah. He very much is that meat and potatoes player that so many people talk about uh, coming out of the OHL, a guy that, like you said, physical, just uh, maybe plays in the bottom pair at the NHL level, but he's a valuable piece for the, for the Montreal going forward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, almost kind of like uh Arbor Jack guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of our favorites uh, that I've seen so far earlier in the year in the NHL. All right, now the final prospect in Montreal's system is a guy that we don't necessarily want to talk about uh, because he probably shouldn't have been drafted and it, 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 after asking not to be drafted. So the big thing is Logan Mayu committed a crime over in Sweden during his draft year. He was fined by Swedish authorities after admitting to two charges relating to sharing photos of a woman performing sexual act without her consent. He's a guy that's a point-of-game player in the OHL. was drafted in the first round with a lot of uh, pushback, rightfully so. Um, Brock, you, I'll let you take it from here for a little bit. Yeah, so this is a player who does have some interesting sort of physical tools, um, but he still has a lot to work on, on and off the ice, and I, I think we're just going to leave it at that. Yeah, no sense in getting too much into his game, but we do have one last segment for the show, so let's uh, move on to the three stars of the week, and uh, this was another fun week, and uh, there's a familiar name in the first star slot. I think he's been there before for us. Yeah, uh, and that's Denny Gore. We kind of talked about him uh, when we were talking about Quindon in the Canadian system. And, you know, Owen Sound had a great week where they reeled off three victories. And, and Denny Gore is pushing his way up the OHL scoring lead or, or OHL scoring race, I should say. And he's somebody that's pushing to be drafted this year in his final year of, of eligibility. And, um, you know, he just week after week seems to be in the discussion for our three stars. 
Yeah, like you said, the physical tools are finally starting to translate into success on the ice. He had eight points this week, three goals, five assists in the four games. So he's starting to get that production that we, we didn't really see from him in prior years. And like you said, the physical tools are starting to get there with him, much like we were talking about earlier. It's not necessarily the easiest thing for him to do in getting drafted in his final year of eligibility. It's always hard to get with those guys to get drafted. But he's doing it, certainly doing a good job putting his name on the map because he's, like you said, climbing up that scoring race. He's putting up performances every week that are worthy of being mentioned in our three stars. And he's getting players of the week honors uh, fairly regularly at this point. So it, it's been fun to watch his game kind of develop uh, over the course of the season. Now, moving on to our second star, we've got Brody Crane, th- four goals, three assists this week and three games played. What did you like when you saw him play? Yeah, well, Brody Crane is is interesting. I thought maybe he had a chance to be drafted late last year. Um, you know, the the production wasn't terrific, but there were some very interesting qualities to his game. You know, the physicality, the speed, um, sort of like some pest like qualities to his game. And you know, he started to take that next step offensively. He had a really good week, and I hope this sort of like leads into more consistent offensive production for him. Uh, London is is really starting to play a lot better after a bit of a lull to start the year. Um, and, you know, he was sort of right in the thick of things in their, in their three victories this week. And that's why he was the OHL player of the week. Yeah. It's a good week for him. Hopefully you can build off of it. Like you said, and now we get to our third star of the week and we decided to make it a tie this week between two defensemen, Ottawa's def- Jack Maciej and, and Saginaw's Pavel Minchukov, both big weeks, six points from Maciej, uh, five points from Minchukov, both of them with three games played. What did you like about their game so far this week, Brock? Well, Michikov, we've talked about a lot. And, you know, he's he's hands down the best defender in the OHL right now. Um, I don't think there's any competition. Uh, he might even be a contender for the Tilson at this point if he can keep this up. Um, whereas Mathieu is, is, is somebody who has really taken that step forward offensively this year. Um, playing under Cameron, uh, again, like we've talked about. And he's kind of really blossomed as an NHL prospect in my opinion and I I think he's actually someone who has a chance at the world junior team as well yeah I think he's got one of those dark dark horse chances at the that world junior team like you said Canada seems to like to bring players like him that can he, he's starting to experience that that offensive surge but he's also played that that lower pairing role and he's able to kind of understand where he needs to be in the lineup and Canada loves bringing a double guys like that every year so it's good to see him having a little bit of an offensive surge this year a guy that I, I've really liked in spurts throughout his, his OHL uh, career thus far and like you said Minchukov is just what else is there to say he's one of the funnest players in the league to watch so it, it's been fun to see these guys and might as well throw them uh both of them a bone and give them the three, third star of the week at the tie yeah, and I mean, both their teams had great weeks, too, with three victories. So you can't argue with that. All right. And with that, we're going to wrap up this week's The Hockey News on the O podcast. Uh, as always, make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Tony Ferrari. Brock is at Brock Otten. And you can follow The Hockey News at The Hockey News. Self-explanatory there. Uh, without further ado, we'll talk to you next week. Hope you have a good one.